Madison here. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Speaking Firm podcast. I'm grateful to be with you this week, and I have an action-packed episode uh, this Friday for you, and I hope that you are blessed by it, and I hope that it makes you think. Um, I've been praying about this episode all day, have a lot of things to share with you, and I hope that uh, they come across correctly, um, and I hope that they come across in a godly and biblical perspective, because I think that's something that we really need today is a godly and biblical perspective as we seek to unpack some of the issues that we are facing as a culture today. And, you know, this is not a conversation that I enter into lightly, and so today's episode is simply titled, Thoughts from My Heart, and my hope is that you can take these thoughts and be encouraged as we seek to live intentional lives of love and purpose for the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Now, before I get into the meat of today's podcast, how are you all doing? Um, You know, things are starting to open up. Uh, There's a lot of active things that are um, starting to happen that were not happening before. And so I rejoice in that reality. I want to tell you about a family, um, the Zelensky family, and particularly uh, Gideon and Hope Zelensky, who recently um, welcomed their daughter um, into the world, and Evie, and she has trisomy 18. That was recently revealed by some tests the doctors have been doing since her birth, and I want to draw your attention to a GoFundMe Uh, campaign, which will be on my blog post for this episode. And on this GoFundMe, you'll have the opportunity to support Gideon and Hope financially as they traverse these new waters of Trisumi 18. Now, there is hope with Trisumi 18. Um, Many babies die quite young from it. Um, But Bella Santorum, um, the daughter of former presidential candidate Rick Santorum and his wife, Karen, uh, celebrated her 12th birthday on May 13th. So there's a lot of hope, um, and there's always new advances that allow people to live um, very satisfying lives, um, regardless of the physical uh, limitations that they start out with. And I think it's an important time uh, in... Uh, Gideon and Hope's life as they seek to honor and glorify God through this situation. Um, I was made aware of this GoFundMe just a couple days ago, um, and they're already halfway to their $10,000 goal. Um, I would wholeheartedly encourage you to give to that GoFundMe and make sure that you are um, being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. We're told to do good unto all men, especially those who are of the household of faith. Um, Gideon is a treasured brother of mine in the Lord, uh, even though we have not talked much lately. Um, but I would also encourage you to pray. And I was able to text Gideon a couple days ago, and he said he feels the prayers of God's people. So I want to encourage you to pray for them. And also, as I said, if you feel led, please give to that GoFundMe, and you'll find the link on the blog post for this episode. Episode um, number 403. Um, and so I, I really have hesitated 
um, to talk at length about some of these issues that we're facing in our culture today um, until this point because I've wanted to have clarity. I've wanted to make sure uh, that I put um, this uh, in the way that God would have me to and unpack these things in a way that is clear and concise and um, doesn't just create another um, another message in the social media sphere. Uh, because there's a lot of messages going back and forth, um, and I know that uh, even in the podcast world, you can spend a lot of time listening to podcasts, and if you're listening to this show, that means that you've made a deliberate um, uh, deliberate choice to spend some time with me, and I really do uh, appreciate that very much. And so, what I want to unpack for you today is just some of my thoughts surrounding um, the 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 uh, racial tension that has been going through our country the last few weeks, and specifically um, the the results of it being uh, the toppling of uh, historical statues. Um, now, I know some people would make the argument, or the argument would at least go through your head, um, the commandment. Uh, that God said to make no graven images. Um, and and I do think there can be a danger to making a graven image of anything and putting it up. Um, but I think primarily in that context, um, you know, because it says don't bow yourself down to them. So I think primarily in that context, God is speaking of don't put up a, a graven image, an idol, that you will then bow down and worship. The only worship that we should be giving is to um, our Lord Jesus Christ. And um, this past week, um, we celebrated uh, Juneteenth, which was June 19th. And, you know, it can be kind of overshadowed in the um, every day of what is going on with all the the tensions, but Juneteenth is actually a significant day because it is a day when the news of the Emancipation Proclamation came to Texas um, and the slaves in Texas were told um, something that other slaves had heard two years ago, which is that they were henceforth and forever free. I think that's a significant thing. I think it's something to be celebrated, and I think that we need to... um, be willing to talk about it more in our schools and as we educate people about various topics, we need to include this one in the way that we are conveying history. Um, but it's significant to me that on that day, um, a statue was torn down of a man by the name of Ulysses S. Grant. Now, I admit that until this past year, I didn't know a whole lot about Ulysses S. Grant. I knew that he was the Union general that presided over the victory uh, for the Union of the Civil War. I knew that he was the last in a long line of generals, that Lincoln struggled to find a general that would actually get the job done. If you study the Civil War, you find that there was a lot of ineffectiveness in the general ranks before Ulysses and Grant came along, and the Civil War could have been done much earlier But anyway, Ulysses S. Grant comes on the scene, and he 
uh, leads America to victory in the Civil War, and he was also a key uh, uh, key person as the country began to put itself back together. And it's quite ironic, um, if you study Ulysses S. Grant, it's quite ironic that on Juneteenth of all days, protesters would take down his statue. Now, the, the, the supposed guys, by the supposed guys through which people have been taking down statues of various historical figures is because they have either said or alluded to racist things or have done other things that we deem to be failures in their lives. And that brings me to this question. If you want to answer it on my Facebook page, go right ahead. If you want to just keep this as a hypothetical question and a hypothetical answer in your mind, go ahead and do that as well. But my my question is this. If you became famous and they made a statue of you, what is the thing that 30 years from now they would topple your statue for? And the reason that I ask that is because I think a lot of times... When we talk about historical figures, we think about their one failure or their major failure, and then we we filter um, our understanding of that historical character through that one failure. And I think it's important, um, even if I were to accept the premise that we should be tearing down statues of historical figures, and I'm not exactly sure if I do, but let's say for the sake of argument that I agree that the statues of racist slave owners should come down. Might it be beneficial for us to know the history of the people whose statues we are defacing or toppling? You see, because as I said at the beginning of this show, I didn't know much about Ulysses S. Grant on... Uh, until last year when I read a super long biography by um, by Ron Chernow called Grant. Simply called Grant. Um, I don't know how long it is in, in pages because I listened to the audio, but it was a good um, 40 to 45 hours long, somewhere in that time frame. So it was very exhaustive. And well, let me just read this quote by Mark Caputo on after the um, after the the takedown of the statue. Mark Caputo, and this is our quote of the day. Mark Caputo um, said, "Lost cause meet crazy cause." Using Juneteenth to tear down the San Francisco statue of Ulysses S. Grant, who won the Civil War that led to emancipation long before. Um, long before had freed the slave, freed the one slave he ever had, and who was later eulogized by Frederick Douglass. So you have a public who is tearing down these statues, and they tear down the statue of Ulysses S. Grant, supposedly in the name of removing people who are symbols of slavery um, from the American public. That That's kind of the idea. We're going to remove this symbol of American slavery and then everything will be okay, and we can start on our way to racial healing. Um, and there's a problem with this, because Ulysses S. Grant was 
about as big a hero as the slaves could ever get. And I truly believe that if you actually study the man, you will find that he should be the hero of every African-American person in the United States today. And why do I say that? Because through studying this biography, here's some of the stuff that I found out about Ulysses S. Grant. First of all, people like to say that he was a slave owner. But he inherited at least one slave. I think I think the book um, Grant mentions more than one slave. But what happened was he inherited slaves through his wife when he married. He hated having slaves, and it wasn't long after he married until he um, required his wife to give their slaves their freedom. Not only that, but Ulysses S. Grant was one of the few people who hired black people to work for him at normal wages. You see, even among abolitionists, it was pretty common uh, to say, well, I believe that black people should be able to work as free men, but I also believe that they we can hire them for less money. That was, that was a common thing back then, that we can hire um, black people at their own wages, and we don't have to pay them normal. But Ulysses S. Grant said, no, I want to hire these people to work for me, I want to pay them the going rate, I'll pay them good wages for good work. And so that was what his perspective was. Not only that, but he also supported blacks who ran for public office, and he disbanded the KKK at the time of his presidency. And then it gained another foothold um, when his successor got into the White House. So we're talking about a man who not only gave lip service to being an abolitionist, but actually was, in the truest sense of the word, an abolitionist. And yet his statue was um, taken down by rioters. And so my, my first point that I want to make today is that if we are going to take down statues, if we are going to alter um, what we know as our celebrated history, then we should know that celebrated history. Um, some of these people said... You know, I heard somebody saying recently the other day from, I think, the BBC uh, about a statue of Winston Churchill. They were they were asked whether they thought Winston Churchill should come down. And they and they said, well, I don't know him. I don't know if, if he was a racist, he should have. And the point I'm trying to make is that we have a situation where people don't even know their history. And so they're just going from town to town, from place to place taking down these statues without any knowledge of what this person actually did and who they were and what they actually stood for. Because again, if you study Ulysses S. Grant, you realize that he was one of the biggest friends to the slaves and one of the least racist people you will read about in all of history. But often we don't take the time to actually get to know who we're talking about. We just make arbitrary decisions.
and so it is with these rioters who took down this statue. I want to play you a video clip uh, where some where two gentlemen are discussing. Um, I believe this is from Christian Wire. I'll have the definite source in my um, show notes on the blog post for this episode. But they're talking about the danger of cancel culture and just arbitrarily taking down statues. Dan, we've all seen the images of statues coming down in several states. What's the good and the bad with this? Yeah, well, there's really not much good to speak of here. Um, this is a movement now to just sort of erase faces from history. Uh, one of the big ones that's going on right now we've seen in Boston and Philadelphia, the cities actually, uh, removing statues of Christopher Columbus as a popular target. So uh, this is a movement now, uh, if it's not being torn down, they're being defaced, uh, to sort of take a look back at people in history and um, just try to kind of cancel them right out of there and pretend like they didn't exist. There was even the statue of an abolitionist being defaced with graffiti. Why this was someone who stood against slavery? Uh, that's a really good question, and I don't know if there, there's a really good answer to it. Um, but this happened in Philadelphia, and it was a statue of Matthias Baldwin, uh, who was an early abolitionist who worked for about 30 years to end slavery and abolish it before it actually uh, finally happened. Now, his story is they were calling him a colonizer and a murderer on the on the actual statue. And um, when you look at this man's life, he was an entrepreneur. He was very successful. And he actually used his own funding to uh, educate black children. Uh, he was very passionate about this issue. And it seems like uh, in a time where you know slavery was ingrained in society that this was one of the guys who was a visionary and a leader in this movement. So it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense at all uh, that that this statue uh, would be targeted. It really just kind of indicates that maybe these people have actually no idea who was on the statue at all. Our founding fathers, Dan, they lived during the time of American history where there was slavery and then there was the Civil War. What is important for all Americans to know about our history here and to remember when it comes to these men in these times and even these monuments? Yeah, well, I think one of the things to remember is if you if you if you don't know history, you're doomed uh, to repeat it. And so, um, you know, that, it was a very complicated time. I mean, I think it's very easy to look back at all of the people who were involved in slavery some way and say, like, well, gee, that was wrong. Like, let's delete them all. And so uh, the problem with that is, is since it was so ingrained in our society, if you want to delete everyone uh, that had anything to do with slavery at all in relation to the founding of this country, well, then you may as well just delete all of the history books and pick a new date to start history teaching, you know, some arbitrary date, you know, around 1900 or something, or whenever you think things got better, maybe, you know, after the civil rights, uh, you know, movement. Uh, but it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to just sit there and try to delete and erase all the things from history. We don't have to like every single thing that happened. We certainly slavery was a stain on, on America in our early founding. But uh, as you mentioned, the civil war happened. We moved in the right direction. Eventually it ended. And we that that, you know, struggle still goes today where we're, we're fighting to try uh, to end racism. But the truth of the matter is, it's, it's a complicated issue. And to sit there and try to erase it all is not very helpful. And I think in the long run, we'll, we'll actually have the unintended consequence of causing people to forget history. And eventually, as the saying goes, we'll be doomed to repeat it. OK, so now you've had a chance to hear about Matthias uh, about um cancel culture 
and about some of the dangers of just taking um, statues down and, more importantly, taking people out of the curriculum to study them as multifaceted human beings. So I want to tell you a little bit about Matthias Baldwin. His statue was defaced, and uh, there's even footage and a video, or, a, or at least a photo, if not a video, of a young uh, teenager, early 20s person, whipping the statue and spray-painting and doing all kinds of things to supposedly deface this racist. Um, but listen to some of what he did. He was a devout member of the Presbyterian Church, and he donated um, to religious and secular causes throughout his life. Um, in 1835, he donated money to establish a school for African-American children in Philadelphia and continued to pay the teacher salaries out of his own pocket for many years thereafter. Baldwin was outspoken in his... Um, Baldwin was outspoken for the abolition of slavery in the United States, a position that was used against him and his firm competitors to sell locomotives to railroads based in the slaveholding South. So the South did not want to deal with this businessman who was against slavery. Um, and not only did he care about the education of the black man, he paid teachers' salaries out of his own pocket for years to make sure that they got educated. Imagine that. And yet we're tearing down his statue as a way to retaliate from the racism of America. I don't think that's acceptable. Even if I were to concede that tearing down statues is the proper response to the current situation, I don't believe that is acceptable. Now I want to be quick to point out, I think one of the problems in our culture today is that me even saying this tells some people that I am for racism, which is not at all true. I said in a blog post that I posted last week that I am not, nor have I ever been, a racist. My dad taught me about Martin Luther King Jr. growing up. And he told me that it was important to judge people on the content of their character and not the color of their skin. That is the example that I grew up with. So, please don't misunderstand me. I am not saying that we need to ignore racism or that it doesn't exist. It most certainly does exist. Those people do exist. But I think one of the biggest things I want to get across is that racism is as old as time. The last time we had one race on this earth was the Tower of Babel. And they were trying to build a tower up to God and make uh, all this name for themselves. And God says, I can't allow this to happen. I'm going to mix up the language. And that's how we got the different races that we do. But God made them all. We are all descendants of Adam, and after that, descendants of Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so for any of us to say to ourselves, or to anyone else for that matter, 
that we are better than them or that we are better than anyone is at best naive and basically just a better way to say it is downright sinful. Because Paul told us in Philippians, let no one do anything through strife and vainglory. Let no one think of himself more highly than he ought. But instead esteem others better than themselves. So that's an important point that I want to make here, is to please esteem others better than yourself. Look for ways to help others and to battle through your own preconceptions. Because I'm here to tell you, I, I, I think... One of the things we need to realize is that we all have preconceptions of other people. And I think that race is only one factor of that. It definitely can be a factor, um, but it hasn't been one for me. But I know that there are plenty of white brothers and sisters for whom I have had preconceived ideas that have negatively impacted our relationships. And I'm sure the same can be said for me. Because I know that certain people, when they look at me, they just see someone in a wheelchair and they don't see the intelligent person that God made me to be. Case in point was just this last weekend. I was going to sign a petition uh, here in my local community with my mom and dad. And I went to the parking lot to sign the petition. My parents stepped up. Signed the petition, my dad grabbed the clipboard off the table and held it for me so that I could sign the petition. And um, the lady rather naively said, are you sure he's a registered voter? Almost as if just by looking at me, she could tell that I wasn't. Because see, she didn't, she didn't card my mom and dad. She didn't check their voter registration, so it wasn't about that. It wasn't like I was waiting in line for a ballot. It was just that I was waiting to sign a petition and she made a judgment call. Wrongly so. I think because of my wheelchair, I'm almost positive. That why would I be a registered voter? Because obviously I look like a full grown adult. You can't miss the fact when you see me that I'm a full grown adult. So that's not a legitimate excuse. So there's going to be preconceived ideas about everyone for various reasons. It's something that we have to deal with, and we need to work to eradicate that from our character. It's a natural human tendency to preconceive ideas about other people. And it would also be naive of us to say that people don't have struggles. Senator Tim Scott, um, who is one of few black Republicans in the United States Senate, he had a speech, um, I think also last week, where he talked about some of his struggles as a black man in America, and he said that even as a United States Senator, he was pulled over and questioned by police seven different times in the past year. And his, his implication was it was primarily because of the color of his skin. I totally believe that, and that is a sad reality that I think that people of color do sometimes have to live with, and my hope and prayer is that we can learn how to talk to our friends of color and of different 
struggles that they have to learn the honest truth about what it's like to live in their skin. I definitely try to do this in relation to my disability um, because a lot of people don't realize the struggles that I've had. I mean, I'm 12 years out of college and I have yet to hold a full-time job. Not because I don't have the ability to do so, but because I have not been uh, given the confidence from an employer to believe that they can hire me to do so. And there's only so much I can do within the context of my career to prove it. Now, I keep busy, and with all the irons that I have in the fire, I'm kind of working full-time, but my income level doesn't necessarily always reflect it. I'm not saying this to complain. I'm only saying this to point out that this is a discrepancy that I have that looking at me from the outside, you might say, well, he has good parents, he has a good upbringing, he has a good place to live, so he is blessed. And truly I am. But I'm only pointing out that I have struggles that you don't have, you have struggles that I don't have, and I think the biggest thing that we need to do as a society is to come together and seek to understand each other's struggles. And to understand the perspective that people are coming from rather than just dismissing them because they have a perspective that is different from ours. That is something that I really need um, to work on myself. And so continuing on, I want to spend the the bulk of the rest of the show here talking about failures in the Bible. Because the premise of a lot of these statues coming down has been due to the personal failure um, of the people in the statues, primarily because they own slaves, but also for various other reasons. And it kind of brings me back around to the question that I asked earlier in the show. If you had a statue erected of you when you became famous, for what reason would it be torn down 30 years from now? And the reason that I ask that is because if we look at the Bible, we see not a colossal group of successful people, although we see their successes, we see a colossal group of failures that God turned into successes. Now, all you have to do to hear about my failures is to ask my family, because they will be glad to tell you areas in which I have failed. Now, for the most part, uh, they are kind, so they probably won't go into excruciating detail. But if you really wanted to know, they would be, be able to give you failures in my life, because... Without Christ, I am a failure. And the, in my flesh, as Paul said, there dwells no good thing. Um, but the Bible doesn't skirt over those things. So I want to take a few moments just to look at a couple of these. The first one I want to look at is Abram. Now, Abram would later have his name changed to Abraham. And he had two very distinct times, not once, Twice, when he lied to different leaders of the lands that he was crossing through, he lied and said about Sarah, she is my sister. 
I want to read in Genesis twelve thirteen. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Abram's fear was that Sarah's beauty would get him killed, because he thought, well, these, these leaders of these lands, they're going to kill me um, and take my wife as their own. Now, I don't know much about what the Bible characters look like, but she must have been very beautiful to look upon if he feared this so much that he lied about it twice. Not only that, but it's a multi-generational problem because we read later that Isaac did the same with Rebecca. And he was found out because the king looked out his window or a ruler looked out his window and saw Isaac and his wife being affectionate with one another. And in Abram's case, she was his half-sister, so it could have been categorized as a little white lie. In Isaac's case, she wasn't his sister at all. So we see a progression of failure there. And yet God chooses to identify himself to the people of Israel as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These men that were failures, these men that lied about their lives, God didn't strike them from the record. Instead, he said, here they are, here is their failure, but I'm still God, I'm still on the throne, and they are still my servants, because at the end of the day, they trusted me. In Genesis chapter 15, it says, Abram believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. And it's interesting that that is three chapters after this first failure. And it's before the second one. So Abraham didn't stop being a failure because he believed God. But God never stopped believing in him. And that's a very important thing. The second person I want to bring up is Peter. Matthew twenty-seven seventy-three to 75 says, And after a while came unto the And after a while came unto them him that stood by, and said to Peter, Surely thou art also one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crew, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now if we remember the beginning of Peter's journey with Jesus, we find that Peter's first reaction to Jesus, he had this sense right away that Jesus could look right through him, and that there was no point in pretending to be something he wasn't. So his first words to Jesus are, Depart from me, I am a sinful man. And then Jesus says, you'll, you'll catch men for me, Peter. Don't despair, you'll catch men for me. And then what happens? He spends three years serving by Jesus' side, and then 
in the pressure of Jesus dying, he denies even knowing him. And we like to pick on Peter for that. But the reality is that the Bible says that every single disciple forsook him and fled. Jesus said, um, the scriptures say, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But the same Peter, well, it wasn't the same Peter because it was under the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts, but the same man went on to be a great um, leader in the early church. And not only did he did he bring the truth on the day of Pentecost, he healed a lame man and, and said it was by the power of Jesus Christ of Nazareth who you slew. This very thing that he was denying for all this time, he says, you slew him, but it's by his power that this man uh, walks because he is not dead anymore. He is alive. And so God took Peter, once a failure, who said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, and made him a mighty person in his kingdom. And he didn't stop failing. Because later in Galatians, Paul withstands Peter to his face and says, you should not separate yourself from your Gentile brethren just because a Jew comes to visit you. You need to be together. And yet Peter, tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down for his part in spreading the gospel. And I was reading the other day that that tradition says that um, he watched his wife die before he did. Also by crucifixion. And he chose to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die in the same way that his master did. And we were just speaking of Paul. That brings me to my final person that I want to talk about today, Paul. And Paul was so evil before he came to the Lord that he even changed his name. He didn't even want to be known as Saul of Tarsus. He was the one who had consented to the killing of Stephen. He watched the coats while people killed Stephen. He even mentions it, I believe, in his testimony later on. But he changes so dramatically on the Damascus Road that he changes his name to Paul. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters of Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound under Jerusalem. So this was Saul of Tarsus. He, he wanted to kill all the Christians, wanted to take them out. This was his his goal was to eliminate uh, is to eliminate 
followers of the way. And he did that. We don't know how long he did that, but it sounds like he did it for quite a while. But then God got a hold of him and changed him. And he said, later on, I have fought the good fight, I have kept the faith, I have finished the work which God gave me to do. Just imagine if these three men that I mentioned to you from the scriptures were statues in a place to honor their accomplishments for the Christian faith and someone looked at their past and said, we need to tear them down because of who they were. You see, the only perfect man that we could find a statue of today is Jesus. Now, I have some final thoughts, but first I want to share with you a clip from an interview that uh, Morgan Freeman did a number of years ago. I'm not sure what year, but it was with Mike Wallace. I believe it was for 60 Minutes, in which he says that he doesn't want a Black History Month, and then he explains why. What, which month is Black History Month? <laughs> no, well, well, come on, tell me. Well, the, I'm Jewish. Okay. Which I'm month Jewish. is Jewish History Month? Uh, there isn't one. Oh. Oh. Why not? Yeah. Do you want one? No, no. No, I, 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 I don't either. I don't want a Black History Month. Black History is American history. How are we going to get rid of racism? Stop talking about it. I'm going to stop calling you a white man. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you to stop calling me a black man. I know you as Mike Wallace. You know me as Morgan Freeman. You want to say, well, I know this white guy named Mike Wallace. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't, I'm pretty sure that Morgan Freeman is not a Christian. I don't see him as a godly example. But I do appreciate that he's speaking sense into this issue. And I think that we need to do so as well. I think the primary thing that we as believers need to do is to remember Jesus' first two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. If we nail those two things, we'll get everything else right. Everything else will fall into place. And we won't have to worry about any other issues in our society. Is that realistic? No, because we're human. We will always struggle with certain issues. But that should be the goal. That should be the striving. Um, Paul said that though the inward man, per- though the outward man perisheth, the inward man is renewed day by day. I don't think we'll ever get to the place where we don't have sin this side of glory. We'll never be sinless. There is only one sinless person. That was Jesus Christ. But if we can get to the place where we are sinning less, because we are in tune with Jesus, that is the goal. Thing. 
please make sure again to cover my friend Gideon and Hope in prayer for their daughter Evie and just um, pray for them as things continue to come together and the GoFundMe page has a goal of $10,000 we're a little over halfway there Um, I'd really like to see that knocked out in the next few days and weeks um, so that they have a few less things to worry about so just a final exhortation and I hope that you have a wonderful day and keep serving the best of masters thank you for listening to today's episode your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him for more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com you can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com that's speaking the number four H-I-M. You can also interact with us at Facebook.com slash Speaking For Him and on Twitter at Speaking For Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 